0: Well hello Church, it's good to be bringing God's Word to you today. We're in a series called Spirit Filled and over the last seven weeks or so we've been looking at various facets and aspects of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be a community of the Spirit. And over these last three Sundays we're going to be looking at the gifts of the Spirit. Next Sunday we'll be looking at the gift of prophecy and the Sunday after we'll be looking at the gift of tongues. But my assignment today is to really introduce uh, the gifts of the Spirit and give a bit of an overview of what their spiritual gifts are. And we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so you may want to turn there now. While you do that, just a little bit of background. So the Paul, Paul is writing to um, the Corinthians, the church at Corinth. They are his primary audience, if you like. And uh, these guys have been saved out of a pagan background that was based in Greek mystery religions. And these religions were accustomed to and used to experiencing spiritual things. So uh, in in the world today, we see uh, the spiritual realm. We're not as familiar with it as perhaps in some other countries like Africa, which I've visited and seen. Um, But these guys were very much uh, experiencing spiritual things, if you like, demonic things. They, were, they used to experience trances and, and the like. And so they were used to that kind of thing. And they were brought out of that and they brought that into their Christianity. And they needed some kind of gentle correction. Um, Paul to speak to them a little bit about uh, the true uh, spiritual gifts, uh, just to bring some wisdom to them. And so that's where we pick up the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read from verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but it's, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And each of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is God's word. Now, although he never asks the question explicitly, the Apostle Paul's preoccupation in this chapter is with the question, what are spiritual gifts for? What are spiritual gifts for? And this is what we're going to concern ourselves with today. And the key verse in this passage is verse 7, because it not only summarises the chapter, but in musical terms, it's a little bit like a refrain that runs through the chapter like a theme in a symphony. So let's read it together. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There are three parts to this. Each one, manifestation of the Spirit given for the common good. So let's unpack these three parts using the rest of the chapter to help us. Now, let's I'm gonna take the middle one first. So manifestation, and I've entitled this point, spiritual gifts are given to glorify God. So this word, what does it mean? We can often get a little bit confused about what the word means. Usually when we're speaking of spiritual things or being filled with a spirit, we use manifestation to talk about the physical effects that come on someone when they're being filled with a spirit. So they might shake, or laugh, or fall to the ground, or cry, or maybe even scream. And uh, that's what we refer to when we talk of the manifestations. But actually, the verb to manifest means something a little bit different. It essentially means to show, or to display, or to demonstrate, or even to bring to light, or to put forward for people to see. I think about The Lion King when I I hear about this. I think about uh, Mufasa and his son Simba. And you know, at the beginning of the, the, the film where Rafiki, I think it is, who's one of the servants of the king, lifts up Simba as the new king who is to come and presents him, if you like, displays him to the rest of the kingdom on Pride Rock. And it's a powerful moment, isn't it? And that's essentially what what the manifestation means. It means to display or to raise high God or to kind of magnify or glorify or make much of God. And that is the primary reason why God gives spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 14, which we're going to be touching on next week, It speaks in verse 24 of unbelievers coming into the midst of God's presence and being undone when a spiritual gift is in operation, the gift of prophecy. They're undone because it's speaking of their lives and they fall down and they worship the living God. I've had a similar experience to this. When I was a teenager in the mid-90s, God moved powerfully upon our youth group. We were just a small youth group. We were very social. We weren't really into or didn't really know much about things of the Spirit. But we had one evening where we were gonna pray for God's Spirit to come. And lo and behold, to our surprise, the Spirit fell powerfully upon that room. And I remember being on the floor, laid out on the floor and seeing a vision um, and it, was, it wasn't a static vision, it was kind of a moving vision, it was quite complex. And I remember sort of talking about what I was seeing as it was happening. Um, I can't remember the detail. But as I got to the end of one sentence, uh, a guy next to me who was also out in the Spirit st- kind of finished my sentence and carried on describing this moving vision. And I was amazed because exactly what I was seeing was what he was describing. We, were, we essentially received the same vision. And uh, there was an unbeliever in our midst, and this was the most uh, thrilling part. The unbeliever saw God on display as this spiritual gift was being used, and he he bowed the knee and gave his life to Jesus Christ and became a Christian. Now, I'd like to say my whole spiritual life has been like that. It definitely hasn't, but that, that was certainly one of the highlights. It was amazing. And in verse 3 of our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who, who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What Paul is effectively saying to the Corinthian church here is that someone who claims to be operating in the Spirit of God and then curses Jesus is not operating in them. Spiritual gifts always point to Jesus and his lordship and his preeminence they glorify him so firstly and most importantly spiritual gifts are given to glorify god father son and holy spirit secondly spiritual gifts are given to unify so if we go back to our summary verse in 1 corinthians 12:7 it begins like this now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given so the key phrase here is each one and what Paul is simply saying is it, that it's not to the special people or the important people or the learned people or the godly people or the leaders who people held in high regard that the spiritual gifts are given, but they are given to each and every one. So that means in this room gathered here, if you call yourself a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have received uh, uh, spiritual gifts It might just be one, but usually it's many. God moves in many different ways and gives us all spiritual gifts. It's not the important people. And so Paul was combating the tendency in some believers in Corinth to see spiritual gifts as a sign of maturity. They're saying, oh, I've got spiritual gifts, therefore I'm spiritually mature. But actually, Paul refutes that. He says, no, 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 spiritual maturity is is shown through the fruit of the Spirit that we looked at last week, which has developed over years. But actually, anyone who's a believer can receive spiritual gifts. It's funny, this time last year in November... Um, I was preparing for a prayer and worship evening and I felt a little bit uninspired. And so in my desperation, I sat down at the dining room table and I said, kids, uh, I'm d- leading a prayer meeting, but I'm not sure what to do. Have you got any ideas? At which point, Matilda, my da- daughter, starts singing a random song uh, because she'd been learning her kind of lines in a play, uh, cr- her Christmas play. And she started singing these words one little sheep won't stand still running around on the hill keeping all the shepherds busy working till they feel quite dizzy work 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 and like you i'm thinking what on earth she's just singing this random song when i've just asked this question but at that moment my eldest husband said hang on a minute Uh, matilda what she's singing about is people working and working so hard that they're feeling totally exhausted And then one of my other kids popped up and said, yeah, we've been looking at Psalm 23, haven't we? Where it says, Jesus is my shepherd and I am his little lamb and he leads us beside still waters. And I was like, whoa! Now, my... Tea times are usually massively chaotic, so this never usually happens, this is a real one-off. But it was amazing in the ordinary, just for a minute or so, something seemed to happen and God seemed to be speaking. And so I went to the prayer meeting, I didn't really say anything about it, but then someone started reading Psalm 23 and I was undone. And I shared what had happened over the dining table. And what it did is it unlocked something in the meeting and people who'd been carrying a weight and feeling exhausted felt that they could be vulnerable and open up and allow God's healing power to come. It was truly amazing. And if God can use children like mine, he can use each and every one of us. Sometimes we get so serious about the spiritual gifts and think they have to be done a certain way, but actually God moves and works as he wills. It is phenomenal. So... um, Paul does, what he does next is he kind of speaks into and brings correction to this idea of the Corinthians of kind of dividing the church into them and us, the ones who have received the spiritual gifts versus the ones who don't have them. And the way he does this is he paints a vision of unity by using the image of a body. So we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, the following. Or unity. The word is used six times, as you can see in this passage. I've highlighted it. And he goes on using this term one, 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 many times through his letters. In Ephesians 4, for example, he says this he says, uh, One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, all in just two verses, seven references to oneness. Why does he do that? Because Paul knows that if we're not united, under one head, Jesus Christ, then we can't be effective. We won't be as effective as God wants us to be. But notice in this oneness, in this unity, he continually reiterates it, but what he doesn't mean by it is uniformity. Paul shows us that unity is best expressed and accomplished by diversity, by difference, by many different people and different gifts coming together to serve Christ and to serve others. And if you notice a bit later, uh, Paul em- re-emphasizes this in a quite a humorous way where he speaks about the body. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? It's kind of weird I, when I think of a, you, you think of this body made up of loads of ears. You think that's a bit weird, a bit like Ezekiel or something like that. But actually, what he is saying is that we are not to be all the same. It isn't leaders and then followers who basically imitate them and become clones of them. But it is all of us, a different coming together. Matthew Side, who's a table tennis player, uh, played in the Olympics for Great Britain, uh, wrote a book which I read recently And he spoke of a team that was brought together to help England win the 2003 Rugby World Cup. We have won the World Cup, people. It was a gutting, wasn't it, the other week? But we have won it. And in it, he talks about a team that was drawn together, which included a table tennis player, a founder of a high-tech startup company, an administrator in Olympic sports, an educationalist, a football manager, a cycling coach and the commander of the Royal Military Academy. And, and people were saying, why have you brought these different people together? None of them are rugby people. They don't know anything about rugby. You should bring together rugby managers and rugby former players because they know about rugby. They will make the team a success. But actually what happened is because you had these different views from different parts of, of the world coming together, it meant there wasn't a one-dimensional view. But actually there was beauty to be found in this team of people who had difference Uh, Among them and it's the same with us even more so in the church that God is looking for us to display our different gifts God designed spiritual gifts intentionally so that we would need each other in 1 Corinthians 12 21 to 22 It says the eye cannot say to the hand. I don't need you and the head cannot say to the feet I don't need you on the contrary those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable each and every one of us is needed and our gifts are required in order to glorify God and to build up the church. They say that if you lost your small finger on your hand, you lose 50% of your hand strength. So even the things that seem insignificant, we're to give them greater honour because they are important. So spiritual gifts are given to glorify God, to unify, and finally, they are given for the common good. Now, I don't know if you like Christmas here. I love Christmas and Christmas is coming in case you hadn't been made aware already. Um, And I love presents, unashamedly. I love to receive presents. I'm quite selfish in that sense. I just want something that's mine, that's for me. And uh, just imagine one day someone gives me a present and I receive it and I open it and it's a box of chocolates. Now, Andy Floyd will always instinctively go, these are mine. I'll become like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. My precious. And I'll take them away and I'll eat them. And people will say, can I have one? And I'll say, no, 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 no! they've been given to me. They're for me. They're mine. Whereas my mother, on the other hand, if she was given the same present, she instinctively would just go, right, take one, pass it on. Take, take a few if you want. And I'll say to my mum, 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 no, these are yours. You're meant to eat them. Don't just give them all away. But actually, the heart of what spiritual gifts are for, they are received to be given away, to build others up, to bless other people. 1 Peter 4 10 to 11 says the following It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace given in its various forms. Now, I love this passage. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I know I always say that, but this is one of my favorite passages as firstly it talks about us being faithful stewards. What does that mean? Well, it means that the gifts that we are given are not actually ours, they are God's, and we are meant to be faithful stewards. With anything that we get, whether we've got a car or we've got a computer, or we've got a a precious necklace or whatever, we're to regard our things as God's, uh, which we just use and steward to bless other people. And then then it talks about stewards of what? Well, of God's grace in its various forms. I love this definition of spiritual gifts. God's grace in its variety. It's amazing. So these gifts are given by God's grace because they are freely given to us. But just as wonderfully, it is grace itself that is given to us. So we have these little packages of grace, if you like, which are given to us not to keep and hoard and go, this is my grace from God, but actually to be given away. And part of our wonderful responsibility is to display the grace of God through spiritual gifts. So what are these grace gifts? Well, there are around 20 listed in the New Testament, depending on how you count and 13 of them are listed in this passage. We also find the most common lists in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12 and in Ephesians 4, and you also get a few in 1 Peter 4 as well. And here's a a table just showing them. And as you can see, the 13 listed in 1 Corinthians, which is yellow, uh, and then there are a, a few listed in Romans 12, which is red, and a few in Ephesians 4, which is blue. And if you look down, there are a few that overlap. So the ones I put in purple, prophecy and teaching, are found in both Romans 12 and Ephesians 14. And the one in blue, apostleship, is found in Ephesians 4 as well. So they overlap. And the fact that, that there is commonality between them, but, but there are also many that are not found in, in more than one, shows us that there is no definitive list of gifts. In fact, the gifts are broad, perhaps even broader than that, this list. So in fact, in 1 Peter 4, it talks about the gift of um, hospitality. And as you look at these gifts, you might be thinking, oh yeah, I can see that I've got that gift or that gift. But some of you might be thinking, oh, it doesn't feel like I've got any of these gifts. But actually, God's gifts are wide and broad and not necessarily all encompassed in these three passages of scripture. And there are some in there which are clearly supernatural. You think, yeah, yeah, I can see those are spiritual gifts and others which seem more ordinary and normal. And actually all of them are spiritual gifts, serving, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy. They, they might seem not as supernatural as the others, but they are spiritual gifts that have given, because spiritual gifts are the things that we receive, which we use to glorify God and to bless others. So let's run few, through a few of them in 1 Corinthians 12. The word of wisdom. It's usually a word that is given to an individual that brings clarity to a confused situation. So uh, a word of wisdom, when it comes, will bring clarity where there is confusion. So uh, Jesus used uh, the words of wisdom a lot in scripture. One of the classic examples was of the woman caught in adultery. We know that story, don't we? Where the Pharisees say, this woman has committed adultery by the law of Moses, she must be stoned, which was true. So this was knowledge that had been given, that Jesus took. But then he applies this knowledge in a way that they weren't expecting where he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And what the guys do is they disperse because they know they are sinful. And and this woman is liberated and set free. Uh, It's funny, knowledge is different to wisdom. Someone once said, wisdom, uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. So wisdom is kind of the application of knowledge. Now, what about a word of knowledge? Well, this is normally a word that you receive about an individual that you would not know unless God revealed it to you. And again, Jesus uses this uh, from time to time. So one of the classic examples being John 4, where he's with a Samaritan woman and he tells her that she has five husbands and she's undone. Whoa. One time, Sarah and I were at New Day a few years ago and we were walking through New Day and we saw a, a friend of ours um, who, who we know and love. I knew a bit about her situation. And she came to us and she chatted about this guy that she was seeing. Um, and she was kind of keen on him and was thinking, oh, maybe he, um, he's the one for me to marry. He wasn't sure. And then Sarah kind of said a riddle, which essentially the answer to the riddle was that guy's surname. And then very quickly after that, she then said his first name as well. So basically, Sarah said his name and knew nothing about it. She was undone. She was like, how did you know? And Sarah said, I didn't. God God spoke it to my heart. Afterwards, I said, Sarah, wow, that was amazing. I can't believe that happened. That was unbelievable. And Sarah very calmly said, well, you know, surely that's normal, isn't it? Aren't we to expect these things? And it's true. We're to expect God to move. Now, past, just a pastoral note there, if you get something you feel is directional for someone's life, just be cautious with it. Uh, you might run it by a leader first or bring someone along with you. It's good to be cautious when it's directional, but we are encouraged to expect and receive that kind of thing. The gift of faith. This is often given to individuals who, in the face of a difficult situation, are enabled to look beyond it, uh, beyond the situation, to God and receive a supernatural confidence. So we read about this a lot in scripture, Hebrews 11, it talks about those who receive faith. We learn about it in church history. There was a guy called George Muller in the 19th century who was in Bristol. And one time, one of his orphanages which he set up was without food, 300 children. And so he basically said to the people, just sit the kids down, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna expect God to provide the food. Lo and behold, um, a baker has been kept up in the night feeling like he should give some bread to the orphanage, which he does. And then a milk cart breaks down outside. The the wheel kind of breaks. And instead of the milk going off, he offers it to the orphanages. He provides. Now that's quite a spectacular story, but actually God can provide. He gives us this gift of faith that believes beyond the circumstances. We've had it a few times where we've needed money and God has come through and uh, through an envelope through the post provided the exact amount that we've needed. So there's healing. God loves to heal us and he heals today. I was so encouraged when a, a few guys from uh, the Lee site went to New Day and they came back excited because their friend who'd injured his shoulder quite badly, when they prayed for him in Jesus' name, he felt a warmth and then was completely healed. There were over 400 testimonies recorded of instant healings at New Day this past year. And the guy who tends to pray for healing at New Day meticulously records them. And what he does is the following year, he will connect with the person and kind of ask them to bring testimony about God healed them at New Day a year ago, but now I'm totally healed. And the doctors have been amazed. Healing happens. God loves to heal. And I want to encourage us today even to pray that God might heal you. And so let's operate in that gift. Miraculous powers, working of miracles. This, this one Jesus did a lot, didn't he? Where he overcame the powers of nature, stilled the storm, walked on the water, fed 5,000 people. We don't see a lot of that today, do we? Not so much. But actually God still does do miracles beyond healings. He does mighty things. You know, people going into Romania with Bibles and and praying that God will get them through without the authorities seeing them and the authorities looking in the car, but almost being blinded to the fact the Bibles are there. Just God moves in miraculous power, even today. Prophecy we're going to focus on next week. Distinguishing between spirits is the ability to discern whether something is of God or the devil. And tongues we're going to focus on next week as well. But in conclusion, what I want to encourage us to do is to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and to be motivated by love. Paul ends the chapter and begins chapter 14, a couple of chapters later, with a clarion call to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, which essentially means to covet whenever are we called to covet something and it's a good thing. But Paul says, covet or eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And effectively, what we're desiring is not the gift itself to bless me, but we're eagerly designed that God is glorified and that people are blessed and the body is built up. And so I want to stir you today to eagerly encourage you to, to follow and to look for and to desire spiritual gifts for these reasons. And lastly, to be motivated by love. Right at the end in verse 31, Paul says, and I will show you the most excellent way which he unpacks in 1 Corinthians 13. It's almost like a love sandwich. You've got two chapters, 14 and 15 on the spiritual gifts and 13 about love. And we know what it says. If if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Effectively, we can be very gifted But if we don't have love, ultimately it comes to nothing. And if you're here and you're thinking, I'm not sure what my gift is, maybe uh, the best question to ask is not not to go, I need to find it and intently try and find my spiritual gift. But ask yourself this question, how can I love those around me? Because if you get involved in the lives of others in your church and love as Jesus commanded, then you will discover your gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that we are your body, Lord, that we are made up of many parts, that all of us are needed. And I thank you for your gifts, that you give spiritual gifts to each and every one of us who believes in you. Lord, gifts that are to not be for us, but to, are to be given away to others, to bless others, to bless the body. God, would you help us as a body to be more active? in spiritual gifts, Lord, because a body, a human body without the necessary and important things happening like blood pouring through the body or breath being breathed will ultimately become either a dead body or a a withered body. And we don't want to be withered in any way. We want to be active and alive. and, And part of that is that the spiritual gifts of God are in operation. Pray, Lord, may your spiritual gifts work in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.